Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on development themselves and the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Maya by Simon Roth. Simon, please introduce yourself. Who you are and what do you do? Hi, I'm Simon Roth. I'm obviously, as you said, the creator of Maya. I'm a programmer slash artist uh, slash every other small bit of games development that I, like I want to do. Um, I'm an indie dev, um, so I'm effectively working on my own, but I have a small team. And yeah, I'm, I'm creating uh, my, my kick-started uh, dream project, which is effectively... Dungeon Keeper in Space mixed with Door Fortress and a whole lot of other influences that are very Molyneux-esque. Oh, yes. Only not, not you know, under, you know, over-promising, under-delivering. No, you haven't done yeah, that yeah. at all. <laughs> Sorry, but that's true. Everyone knows it. I know you, it's just Mr. Molyneux, bless him. I loved Populous and then it kind of petered out. But yeah. um... Well, I, I have a, a current <laughs> policy of... Um, I, I only promise things that I've already worked on that are already <laughs> already started to finish off. So I only I only talk about things that are um, kind of something that I can show people. So I'm not promising things that don't exist, and then I find yeah. myself in a bind when I don't finish end up doing them. And um, paint yourself in the corner because there is a, a, an ill thought out view that oh if you promise something to someone then you'll force yourself to do it no that's not how human yeah, nature works <laughs> there's what actually happens is you procrastinate and have a nap and stroke the cat instead yeah, of actually doing anything so that's because that's what human beings are like and that's fine uh but yeah never never do that i fall into that trap myself and it just doesn't work and ends up making you look like an idiot but anyway how did you make your start making flashy lighty video games um my first video game i made in in basic <gasps> running a emulator on an acorn um and i was yeah emulating the bbc and i made a, a well i made a, a few kind of basic input games but then i, I made a, a space hulk text adventure procedurally generated Wow. Um, what was that using? Was it using uh, an engine? or It's not a silly question because... Uh, no, no, it was just a pure basic inputs. Oh, um, and, and also no actual... I, I, my brother taught me about three lines of code um, and I based my entire game off that. So everything... Um, if you what know, was it? Was it if and then? And... It was if go to. <gasps> um, and, and that was the entire game, um, which... <laughs> In retrospect, it was probably the most complex piece of programming I'll ever do. Um, but then after, after that, I, I, I was more interested in, in computer graphics. I was always frustrated because I wanted to do the art of my games as well. But there was no way to create graphics for games very easily, especially when you didn't have the internet to find out how that would actually work. Mm. Um, but I got into 3D animation in about the year 2000. Okay. And I, I self-taught myself... Um, some studio quality software and then started up my own studio as as a as a 12 year old called machine studios um and ended up freelancing on big budget games and movies um with people not knowing that their kind of lead artist was actually a 14 year old um but but then that I kind of worked into games from that and then I used that experience when I was at uni to um work on simulators 
uh, for a big um, Russian multinational designing uh, boat simulators. So I, I once had to model the entire of Venice in 3D, the entire 26-mile square Laguna area. You did Assassin's Creed only years before. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, there's the thing: is, is looking at looking at Assassin's Creed, I just go, "Oh, they've got they've got this all wrong. This, yes. is, this is not this is nothing what like what, what it would have looked like or what it does look like now. They've, yeah. they've completely missed. They've looked at a few pictures on Google Image Search. Um, so that'll do. Yeah, well, but, but you know, I, I think what you do. I think they they made a good a good go at it. I mean, they did capture a bit of it, but they they yeah. really, they yeah. really only. Got a, got a very small part of the character in the place. That's a fascinating start, though, to actually just want to take a pause there and think that you've been building ever since two thousand. That's fourteen years. You've been building these these you know taking basic wireframe models and then basically texturing them and turning them into the objects that now we take for granted. Is that the right way to describe it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and and the thing was. The irony of it all is I'd really wanted to do a, uh, a degree in computer animation. Right. Um, so I ended up going to Bournemouth to right. do my degree in computer animation and visualization. But of course, I knew it all. Um, oh, dear. So, so I got bored, and so I got into writing game engines um, and made a game engine for my major project. Um, did, you, and, did you Do you finish it? Forgive me for asking. A lot of people... Uh, yeah, I can. Oh, you did finish. Okay, I can show you a video of it. It's somewhere on on. No, no, no. I mean a degree. <laughs> oh, oh, my degree. Yeah, I, I yeah, just yeah. finished the degree. Yeah. Um, you just got really tired of it because you realised. Yeah, it. I, 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 I mean, I, I still I did well in all, all parts of my degree. After yeah, I'm that. not questioning that. I'm just yeah. a lot. You know, I mean, Bill Gates, he dropped out halfway through. I mean, you know, you didn't. well, I did drop out something later. Um, uh, I, I started a doctorate after my degree. Oh, uh, right. Which is is kind of one of the things that caused me to be where I am now, um, very specifically. Because what happened is I, I started working uh, um, frontier developments. Oh uh, yes, okay. It's part of my doctorate, and and the thing is that that was kind of interesting, and I worked on connectables and the outsider. But I was away for a few weeks, um, doing some uh, units down in Bournemouth for this degree, and uh, I found out via uh, Facebook that The Outsider had been cancelled. And so suddenly any of the research that I really wanted to do was no longer feasible. And eventually we we basically realised there there wasn't any real place for me um, at Frontier anymore. Um, Because I I didn't want to work on on their um, uh, kind of small game projects that they were working on for Microsoft. Uh At the time. At the time, because obviously there was no um, ability for me to do the research that I wanted to do on them. No, no, I understand. Um, so I ended up going to uh, Mode 7 in Oxford. Um, oh, right, yes. Yeah, with, with Paul and Ian. Yeah, because um, I've interviewed Paul Taylor on the previous show. Lovely man. Yeah, Paul's really nice. Um, yeah. And they're good guys. Um, but I eventually realised that there was no way that I could keep up what I was doing um, because I was trying to do a whole day of work at um, Mode 7 and then go home and do an entire, like, 100,000 word uh, kind of mini thesis or something when I got home. Um, and yeah, so, something has to give, right? Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble mentally. Yeah, so, so eventually I, I found that I, ba- I basically wasn't getting any code done at work. Um, and so we, we effectively ended it and I quit my doctorate. Um, and then I went 
God, what do I do now? <laughs> um, and the thing is, I'd, I'd picked up kind of the indie spirit or whatever. I'd worked with um, Terry Kavanagh and a year earlier um, on, on a quick project on VVVVVV and somehow managed to justify that within my doctorate. Um, but I kind of knew the indie business and I knew everyone and I, I had a, a project that had been going, um, Maya. Yes. Um, and I went, well, I knew that Kickstarter would be coming out soon and I had a really strong vision for the game. So I thought, I'm, I'm just going to try and make this and see what happens. Um, and yeah, it's obviously turned out quite well. Yeah, because uh, I remember seeing you about two or three years ago. It was, it was what Rez, I think, you did a... You did a game jam with Mike Bithell. It was quite yeah. funny. That was hilarious because um, the theme was just bizarre. I think it was religion or something like that. Oh, resurrected. Resurrected, yeah. yeah. That's right. Someone did the resurrection of Jesus. And it got. It was rather dark, but you went <laughs> another way. But yeah, um, I think it's when you and I first encountered each other because I know a lot of people too. This is one of the reasons I've driven by this show is I know lots of people. Mm. Um, and I see lots of people exposed and that sort of thing. So... Yes. Well, that's really bringing us up to date, and it's you know a fascinating tale. I mean, I've done when I was a kid. I did some coding. I mean, I didn't. I did. I started with the if and stuff, and then I went on to do work out collision detection and stuff like that. Then I could then use that to make games to shoot things and that sort. Of, so I got that far, but then I went spiraling off into another profession. But uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it was pretty good advance really in figuring out collision detection at that age. Yeah, I don't think I ever got that far. <laughs> no. That's the thing is, I, I got stuck on on getting graphics or stuff like that, and then went nope. And then yeah, it was it was maths, lots and yeah. lots of maths, and like oh, this is quite complicated, but like, I can get this, I can do this. Cool. Okay, so what? are your biggest influences you've already hinted at them and uh, maybe i think before you thought about the show but you've already hinted a little bit about what uh it's influenced you uh when creation of maya but um what, what what's the thing that the biggest thing it could be anything it could be a person a hat could be anything oh i don't know or well, probably probably peter molyneux then right because i grew up in early 90s playing bullfrog games um, okay and and while so saying Peter Molyneux is maybe a bad thing, maybe Bullfrog is. Yeah. Because so the theme hospital and, and kind of Dungeon Keeper are, are, are games that I can go back and I can play now. And I'll, they still play. hold up, don't they? Both of yeah. them. Um, Dungeon Keeper, especially. It is a bit muggy, but uh, it's, you know, visually, but the core of the game is still there. Yeah, and it's, it's really, really strong. And uh, you, you, I, I mean, I was, I was streaming it just the other day. Um, and people were fully entertained by the stream as much as me playing any other game that could have come out. And it could actually pass for a modern indie game. Um, people would, yeah. people would never like know if I didn't tell them. And this is a strange I, thing is that a lot of people kind of don't know it now. Um, because of it, the, um, sorry, yeah. I was just about to interject. I mean, another bullfrog game of my favourites, but I, I found it beguiling when I was playing it. And even to this day, I'm a bit afraid to go back to it. Not because I didn't like it, it's because it was bonkers. With magic, <laughs> was Magic Carpet. That game was insane. Um, did you ever play Magic Carpet? Oh, I, I did shortly. Um, yeah. But I, don't, yeah, I don't think I played it much. I didn't have it myself. Um, no. My, my neighbour had it. Yeah, I had a PC that was quite powerful in 95. It cost about two grand, long story. And I had one, and I, one of the games I had on it was, was Magic Carpet, Magic Carpet 2. 
And it, it was bonkers. You're flying around this carpet over this landscape, shooting big worms and other monsters and rescuing people. And it was just weird. It was so un-Bullfrog-like. Yeah. And yet it was Bullfrog-like in some regards. I mean, they never talk about Hurricane. No one talks about that game. But yeah, it's uh, that, that's them. that's a game I'd like to stream and say, what was this? What drugs were they taking? Because <laughs> it was just insane. Um, but yeah, um, Bullfrog. Okay, so that's really your, that, that kind of ethos. Yeah. Creation and manipulation and stuff. And little people. Because that's what yeah. Molly you always like doing is watching little people uh, interact with the world that they've, he's created or someone yeah, created. Yeah, them kind of getting on with it themselves um, and, and kind of them... Because you can you can impose your own story on on the little creatures in the game, yeah. And uh, you know the game the game is well, it's, you know it's a god game. You're, you're just watching as the things happen, and you have limited control. Uh, which you have control over the world and its and its contents, but not the interaction of how the people in you know and what the how the people interact with it. Yeah. Uh, although you can occasionally you know destroy things as well. So. Okay, which leads me on to who do you most admire then, or what do you most admire in the industry right now? It's kind of it's kind of in a state of flux. It's got to be said, but uh, you, yeah, I mean, I mean the uh, um, the door fortress developers, um, Bay Nine, uh, uh, sorry, Bay Twelve. Um, I, I have are they brothers? Uh, yeah, yeah, the right. Adams, the Adamses, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've never played it myself. Go on. They're a they're a kind of uh, big inspiration because they're, they're the sort of the few developers who just go here's our project, um, and it's strange and it's different and we don't care what you think about it but we like our own game and we're going to keep making it for the next twenty years, uh, which is something that I don't think a lot of developers would or could or would do um, to have such a Kind of huge grand vision, and I think that was one. That was actually one of the cre- reasons that Maya got created um, again as a kind of in- another indirect inspiration. Is when I was a um, so I did an internship at Natural Motion at one point, the animation company that do all the uh, animation tech for Rockstar and stuff. Okay, um, the, the, the funny rag dolls from Grand Theft Auto and stuff. Um, and when I was there, I, I we'd been playing a lot of Door Fortress. Um, and I told my friend I wanted to do a graphical uh, 3D world like Dwarf Fortress and I'd make the world out of blocks and you could dig out the blocks and at night creatures would come in and like attack your base or attack you. Mm-hmm. And I explained this to everyone at Natural Motion around a table um, over a few beers and everyone told me that it was a terrible idea and that no one would ever buy a game that just had blocks for graphics. And... Um, you're kidding, kind of, right? No, I did. This is this. My friend still mocks me over this because he, <laughs> he told me it was like he literally, and that's a terrible idea. And 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 I discussed it with people, and it was either do that or a fancy engine tech demo test for for my uh, my degree. And so I ended up doing a fancy engine rather than this game made out of blocks. And while I don't think it would have ever turned into Minecraft, um, it's it is quite funny that. Like I have quoted from very high up people in the games industry, very respected people now, that this game would never sell. No one would be interested in it. Um, this is happens. It's, the history has a tendency to repeat itself. 
Yeah. Um, going back to your frontier development, so we've seen an interview with Mr. Braben, or was it? Yeah, he's Mr. And he was saying that he um, he was told when he was touting Elite around various software developers back in the publishers back in 1983, 84, that no one would buy it because where's the score? Yeah. There's no end to this game. It's too complicated. Please go away. But well, I still get that now because people go, oh, you can't sell an unfinished game. No one wants to play an unfinished game. Well, I, I have uh, 40,000 people who've got a copy of the game now. And yes. uh, yeah. quite a few of them are playing it by the look of it. It's the, the, um, it's, I think that's related to the other taint of games being put up there that clearly aren't finished and nor will, never will be developed yeah. or finished in any way, which doesn't help you or any other honest and uh, developers out at all. So I think that's what the the thing is. And, uh, you know, as a consumer, as you are as well, which people seem to forget, it's the other reason why I have this show, is there are people behind the code, everyone. Yeah, uh, so you know, there are, <laughs> There's people behind the code and uh, they do want to, you know, for, for, for do things for the best. And this is what this is about. And um, it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a form of crowdfunding, uh, I believe. But it also is a way of uh, the audience helping the creation of the game itself right yeah i mean because well, one of the things with Meyer is, is like i really do involve the audience and i do talk about the issues of the game and i will um you know discuss why why i make design choices and things like that which a lot of other devs aren't used to um and have no interest in doing if you um, whereas, can yeah if you can break it down like that in a logical yeah. fashion and if you give people positive choices, like, well, we've got three ways we can do this. Which one which should we choose, for yeah. example? And that's one way to do it. Well, usually it's, it's, it doesn't even come to that with me. It's, it's usually people, um, pe- people trust a lot of my decisions. Okay. Um, but usually they want to know why. And, and by forcing myself to have to tell them why, I have to actually kind of go through my own decisions in my head over and over and pick them apart. Um, because they're going to pick me apart if I don't. Yeah. And so by doing that, there are a lot of like decisions that otherwise would have just been I'd have quickly made in a hurry and, and never thought about much. But this makes me have to make like, very careful decisions on everything I do, which means that there's no things in the game which are just going to be there because. Mm. Everything is there due to having it me have to choose for it to be there, which for Maya um, is really important because the, the depth and complexity of the game um, in its final iterations is going to be insane. So throwing <laughs> stuff in uh, without properly thinking about it would, would be a very poor, poor way to do things. Yeah, and you'll, you'll end up breaking things and without you realising, which happens in Dwarf Fortress and other games of similar ilk all the time. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's just the nature of game development of any form of any type which leads me on to my last question about you and then we can go on and talk about Maya what are you playing at the moment and it can be anything by the way because I do tabletop as well so it can be anything well, well I'm, I'm playing uh, we're uh, doing regular nights of um, armor armor 3 uh, which I kind of it's, it's strange because I wouldn't think it's the kind of thing that I really spend a lot of time playing but it's it's really uh Due to, due to having to like do really strong teamwork and skills and communication, the game 
when it comes together, it becomes so ridiculously satisfying to be well operating like a real military unit. Um, they're playing uh, armor online is really good, and and they've had they added a, a new mod called Zeus, which okay. one player gets to play as effectively uh, a games master or, or or a DM, and they can just like spawn things in the world or make events happen, and so they can craft a story for you. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's weird because it's it's almost like tabletop role playing now, um, because you have your, your dungeon master and people are kind of interacting with the world he's creating on the fly, which is something not a lot of games have really done. Um, There's been a few attempts at it, um, it's got to be said, and throughout the last 20, 15 years since yeah. the internet's been around, there's been attempts at having one person who's like guiding various things and everyone else on the ground or whatever is actually interacting with that. It's been tried to varying degrees of success, but to hear that Armour 3 has a mod for it is amazing and also not surprising because it's armor and it's you know that's what they're sort of games like you must have a crew a regular crew of people that you play with uh yeah well it's it's kind of a bit loose at the moment a few people drop in um right from time to time and that's the thing is because 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 it is like bespoke we can do two-man missions or six-man missions or you know 70 or 80 people um in a huge armored tank column uh, going between objectives and, and things like that, so, so it can it can always be a different game. And that's the thing: this tool set is effect uh, uh, the their, their tool set is effectively a, a, like a, a rule book, and they just hand you the the kind of game game world book like an RPG or say say, and you you can put together uh, the the missions. Which... But it is like contemporary weapons, so therefore. If you see a muzzle flash in the corner of your eye, you're probably going to die. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, but, but there's like there's a lot of um, that like the, the number of mods is, is absolutely crazy, obviously. Right. Um, and so you know there are people who play like the Vietnam War. There are people who like are, are doing like the Falklands right. and lots of and like historic battles and things. And it's it's really. It's, it's it's surprising. It's really interesting because they've embraced that their game is not a prescribed game anymore, but just a tool set for people to build their own games. So the only um, mechanics is the actual physics of the weapons and the the equipment and the and the, yeah, and the vehicles and stuff and, and the, the interaction with all those things. Yeah, but everything else is up for grabs. Yeah, and I think that's why obviously things like Daisy came about. Yeah, because you can just start throwing in some scripts and suddenly you've got a zombie apocalypse and things like that which a terrifying one yeah and it did it did mirror the fact that people are worse than zombies yeah very well i want his baked beans oh for god's sake can't we just help him out no shoot him in the face with his baked beans it's a bit crazy how many people are complete psychopaths in daisy it is. Um, it does worry me somewhat. It's, it scares me. Yeah. But uh, then again, you, you read comment sections on any web, uh, video game website. Maybe it's not that surprising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Well, I've got a theme hospital installed on my desktop currently, which gets right. fired up occasionally. Um, is that running but, using like DOSBox or something like that? Or? Uh, yeah, it's the the good old games DOSBox oh, version. Right. Yeah, um, okay. I, I also have um, Kerbal Space Program uninstalled. Right. Um, due to it being 
too much fun for me. Um, <laughs> get away. And, and it, it, get ye behind me. Get away. People were complaining that some of the, you know, the mayor updates could have been bigger because they, they saw my, uh, my Kerbal Space Program projects and I'd launched a kind of 100,000 part mission to uh, kind of explore moons the other side of the Kerbal solar system and these missions take like days and days of real time play to do and I, and I was like yeah I, while it's not actually eating into my life I need to actually stop playing before it does start eating into my life because right. it's, it, is, it is really fun and it's really good it's educational it's actually taught me some things that I didn't really realize about um, things like physics and stuff. Newtonian physics and gravity. Yeah. Slingshotting around various planets and large spherical objects that orbit the world. Well, the yeah. Or uh, the sun itself, but yeah. <laughs> a few of my assumptions about how that I could do those uh, different, different orbit types and uh, slingshotting around other planets uh, kind of turned out wrong and, and things like that. And that's actually forced me to like look up some of the physics behind it has actually helped me in a weird educational fashion um which i don't think a lot of games have really ever done um, no you're right really had to look up real science behind stuff apart from the development of my own game um which oh yes again, which that's a good it, segue although we shouldn't yeah. call it segue because now called it that it's no longer a segue but yeah, we, <coughs> second, time it. I've done it. <laughs> second time i've done it did it last week as well sorry listeners i'm really sorry <clears throat> but it does let us move on unless you've got any other games to talk about I don't mind oh I don't know I'd have to fire up my Steam list to be honest um, <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I, I finished um, the Batman Arkham City oh yeah how um, did you like it recently it was alright and I think it was well done um, I'm a you bit concerned the first one or I think I preferred it over the first one but then at the same time I there was there was some some kind of very negative features about it like the characterization was a bit weaker and while the big world added a lot more exploration to it it also kind of uh, sort of diluted some of the action uh, down when you're flying around the thing and you're trying to find somewhere and it, it destroyed a bit of the pacing that would have been kind of instant in, in other places well, I'm also you know, you know I don't remember Batman going is it left or right down the street I yeah, remember. Like, or, you're or, Batman! Or failing to make jumps and then, and then yeah. just bash into the wall and you're like, oops. Yeah, that's not very Batman-like, is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my last thing I was playing is, is the Dishonored DLC. Okay. Um, which was, as DLC goes, really quite excellent. And then some of the missions and kind of storytelling would, is perhaps better than the base game. Um, because the character you, you play is um, the, the the assassin. Uh, I can't remember what his name is, um, but he's a he's very conflicted and an interesting character. And you find out his motivations. Whereas in the original, you were playing a silent character who didn't really have any very clear motivations. Just, and yeah. the the story it was there, but every aspect of it was entirely predictable. Um, and it was okay written, but it wasn't. It was nothing to get excited over. Whereas the the DLCs got a lot more interest, a lot more character. Um, the missions are obviously smaller, but in the same way, they're very they're much more condensed. And so you you feel like the get the gameplay's got a, a lot stronger due to these uh, perhaps contrived missions, but they they 
they really show off all the all the um, mechanics a lot better than the base game. And actually, that it's a lot harder. I may be playing on a harder difficulty though, so that might not be. Right. No. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it, it's really it's really quite good um, for DLC, and yeah. even for for a base game, it's it's better than from what I've seen of the new Thief game, which is what I would be playing had it been any good. Had it been any good. Uh, I loved the first Thief until it got to the zombies. You can't yeah. hide from zombies! Oh, and the whole point of Thief is hiding from people and smacking them behind the head and dragging off the body. But no, you can't do it, zombies. Things, my, um, my first uh, introduction to Thief was actually Thief 3. Okay. Um, which apparently is completely blasphemous, and I, because I actually I reasonably enjoyed Thief Three. I never finished it because I had a hard disk corruption and lost all my saves. Mm. Um, but I actually found it quite good. And then I tell this to people who yeah, love, and love look, the original Thief games, and they get very angry at me. They do, yeah. <laughs> the second one is meant to be the pinnacle of the series, but yeah. I may be heretical saying that too. Oh, whatever. Just enjoy your games, everyone. Stop yelling at each other. So, with that, let us move on to the second half of the show, which is you and I chat about Maya. So, please give us the full lift pitch, I believe the British version would be, of your of, of Maya. Basically, describe the game to me and the audience. Maya is a space colony management simulator. Um, it's somewhere between The Sims meets Dwarf Fortress meets Dungeon Keeper um, in space. And it's quite hard to explain, but kind of quite simple to pick up and see when, when you're playing it. It's a top-down management game. You lay out rooms in a base, uh, mine out areas, collect resources, do research, and effectively you're just trying to keep your colonists alive uh, for as long as possible, and usually they die quite quickly. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I always struggle um, pitching Maya, just because the complexity of the game is... Like goes far beyond the face value of it, and everything yeah. in in the game world is simulated. So, kind of the the amount of rainfall and the amount of light hitting the plants in the game world affects how much they grow. And each plant is an actual simulated object that has its own kind of um, place in the world. Every creature or every colonist has their own wants and needs, which they're working to kind um, to fulfil. Yet the colonists have overall needs of the colony that they need to fulfill and the orders that you're giving them and yeah the the, the point about it is it's a, it's a sandbox but it's also an attempt to create a living breathing world which we're not quite there yet because we're still in alpha um, but it's it's getting there so 
just to expand it a bit more. So the background story is it's a it's a, a fledgling colony from from yeah. Earth, right, to a planet which isn't particularly it, it it supports life, but the atmosphere is toxic. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. So so the planet is is based on uh, a potential real world planet, um, which has now actually been discovered. But when I started the game, this planet didn't exist. Um, it's based in the Tau Ceti system, which has a huge cloud of dust moving around in it. And that cloud of dust is perfect for the creation of planets. The problem is, any planet there, it's going to be quite new. And it's not going to have a good magnetosphere yet, so it will be raked with solar flares constantly. It will also be raked by pieces of dust from the dust cloud, so it will have constant meteor strikes on the surface and in the atmosphere. Yeah. And so if it does exist, and if it is habitable, it's in a it's in a term turmoil and it's it's in a very primordial state very mixed up and so creating a colony on this planet you, you actually have to um kind of dig underground to avoid the solar flares and for the to avoid the uh, meteorites that are striking the planet and also um there's, there's going to be wild or there's the wildlife of the planet which is not hostile to you but it is wild so you have to consider the fact that you know, you're moving into an ecosystem that if you disrupt that ecosystem, then the ecosystem will effectively fight back against you to right. eject you from it. So all the is plants... The, and, yeah, is the atmosphere also toxic? Or? Oh, yeah, so, so the, the atmosphere isn't breathable for humans. It's not specifically corrosive or anything, um, but it's unlikely to have the, uh, the amount of oxygen in it that you, you want to breathe. Um, so the colonists will um, asphyxiate after a amount of time outside without um, breathing apparatus. Okay. But you're saying you're about to say about the plants and the animals reacting against a hostile or alien incursion, basically. Yeah, because effectively what, what will happen in the game is as soon as you disrupt things, if you start destroying the food the creatures eat, um, they might start shifting around the food chain. So you might become the thing in the food chain that they replace their food with, or they, you know, once they replace their food, they might decide to eat you, or they might start eating your equipment, or you know, if, if they find if the, you're in their territory, they might become aggressive against you, and, and things like this, or even, even stuff, um, even things like if you wipe out all the plants, the, uh, the the creatures might kind of move out, and you might end up with a completely dead area. And then, kind of things things that you would have been able to do in that area, you won't be able to do anymore, like researching the uh, ecology, because you don't have any plants to research anymore. So it will be a very um, finely shaped uh, simulation. And then, and when when things drop out of the simulation, it will it will try and correct itself, um, and. It may be beneficial to you, but it's more likely to be really, really bad for your colonists. Right. So let's move on to um, something I experienced when playing the game. Is uh, It plays heavily on the concept of being on the brink of failure while you're experiencing the game. You're always on the, like, teetering on the edge of, like, this is going to go south very quickly, very fast. Was it something you deliberately did, or do you just try to reflect real life? Um, that, and also kind of a sense of Britishness, because, <laughs> of, 
<laughs> everything always just goes as, as badly wrong as possible um all in one go um and every every everything's always like that and everything's always miserable um so yeah it's kind of that kind of and the thing is because everything is on a knife edge it's it's very interesting to kind of see um, how how people react to that, and the the colonists in the game, while they don't show it, have their own um, kind of emotional simulation, and that's going to be going in soon. Actually, we've got the animations all done for it, um, and you actually be able to see their frustrations with things, and, okay. and and kind of they know that they're on that knife edge as well, uh, which will kind of kind of bring up the tension, and they know that they're just barely surviving. So. I have to say that this this uh, Maya reminds me of a couple of other titles. Please don't take anything negative. In fact, this is, this is a good thing. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Rimmed Capsule, um, which is a great little indie game where you have a little set of colonists and you build a space station out to these big obelisks. And is, there's some there's some mechanics there that's similar, but it's not. It hasn't got the, the big difference between that and what you've got here is. Um, the, there's characters that have um, you don't play them but then the NPCs that interact with the world you're creating and uh, they have moods as you were alluding to um, I mean there's another game called uh, Darkest Dungeon which I did an interview for and they have a similar thing where they have the characters suffering from mental stress <laughs> as they kill big orcs and monsters and what have you which is something that you know most RPGs don't deal with because like you know Surely they'd be sort of, you know, having post-traumatic syndrome after going through a dungeon that's full of monsters that shouldn't, they have no business being in in the first place. Um, is that, I mean, there seems to be a, a trend for, well, not a trend, but there seem, it seems to be popping up all over the place, the idea that, that you can actually explore, I'm going to say it now, it sounds a bit pretentious, but the human condition. Yeah. Uh, is that something you, you, you think that's driven you to make Maya? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, when you when you play, when I played games when I was younger, whatever, you know, often people put their own characters, and then they they come up with kind of personalities or whatever for the for the creatures or players in the game. And I remember things like Boat Murdered, which was a as kind of a save file thing, which they did with Dwarf Fortress players, where they told their own stories of their of their bases, right? And it's something that's been woefully neglected, um, which is really giving characters in the game, uh, well, their their own like psyches. Um, obviously, before perhaps it, you know it wasn't feasible to do that, or and and so many games have been focusing on. Kind of graphic fidelity and then making things exciting and quick for the player with very little introspection on, on everything. Um, and I guess that's what's good about indie games is you can go, oh, let's let's actually think about these characters. Because that's the thing with Maya, people complain that you don't have many colonists. The maximum that you can have now is about 12. Um, and people are so oh, why can't I have a huge burgeoning colony? It's because I want people to zoom in and really like look at the characters, and each one of them has a, a Kickstarter back ahead. Yeah. So th- those are actually real people who paid to be in the game, um, and it's weird because one of the characters, I don't know if this is a bug or if it's just because we're projecting it onto him, 
but he's really lazy. And he's one of our, our players in, the, in our IRC chat. And, and so we're always mocking him. And it's, if there's a screenshot of a bug of one of the colonists who, like, oh, he, this one, there's a bug and he's not getting out of bed ever. And it's always him. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he never builds anything. And it's always him. And it's like, what the... And, and, and I can't tell if it's... Because people have got it into their head that he's lazy. And so, but, but completely... It may just be complete chance, but it's, it's really weird. Oh, and but that's the thing is, like, I, I want to effectively get that depth. So when when the weird things do start happening, people realize this because of the simulation. Like we had a bug at Rest um, where people weren't building things really much at all. Yeah. And I found out that it was because I added some code uh, which simulated stress feedback loops. So if a character was stressed about doing something because that thing was really important, they'd actually become slightly less able to do that thing. Yes, that's true. Um, but interestingly, that caused my code to then go, well, then they get more stressed about it. <laughs> and then they become less able to do it. Less able to do it to the point where they can't do it. To the point where they all became completely crippled by stress. <laughs> and it was just... It's interesting because that's actually, you know, that's effectively, you know, that's a real condition that some people suffer from, complete, yeah. you know, panic attacks and breakdowns. That's right, that's right yeah. Um, so actually kind of building these models is fun and then, or it's not fun, but it's it's interesting and mm. character coming out of the simulation, um, people saying, oh, I know this this character likes this more, even though some of the stuff like preferential treatment of activities isn't in yet due to bits of code coming together in specific ways um the characters end up effectively having personalities and stuff already which yeah. is um weird um but fun at the same time and hopefully when when i can actually start showing this more with animation people will uh, appreciate uh, how how what kind of depth we want to put into it and i I, th I do hope more indie games do really explore that um you know well, the, they are like i said um, yeah i'm gonna pitch it to you now i mean darkest dungeon do you have a look and you can listen to the show that i did last week or was the week before i cannot remember but uh, it was a great show and it was talking about that very thing of you know keep these these characters you're putting them through hell don't you think <laughs> they'll get a little bit freaked out uh, I mean, I played a demo of theirs, and the priest that was with you, she lost her faith. <laughs> she goes, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I was like, just do your job. You've got one job. Just do it. Yeah. She goes, no, I can't do it. I'm freaking out. This is just too much for me. So you're right. There should be, and I think, retrospective actions in games is a good thing. Mm. Um, just to look at, reflect on what you're doing. And consider the consequences of your actions. Well, I always remember there was the uh, the infamous Edge uh, review of Doom, where he goes, "Oh, if if only you could talk to the monsters." <laughs> and you know, people do roundly mock it, but he did, well, in a, in a kind of obtuse way, have a point that yeah. it would be nice if if there was some sort of depth there behind it, even even in the fastest action games having an end to the level and a reflection on it. You used to have, of course, you used to have like your point screen showing you how fast you did, how many secrets you had. Just having some sort of careful reflection on the ending of it would yeah. be really interesting. 
I think you tried a little bit of that on a little bit on Doom Three, if you remember. But ultimately, it was still all look zombie shooting the face. Um, but yeah, it's getting that way. Um, more depth. There's more to games than shooting things in the face. Yeah. So my penultimate uh, question is: How have you found balancing the level of discovery of the colony or the planet? against managing resources and events that cause problems for the colonists? Um, currently in development, probably not very well. Okay. Um, I, I think that I could have done a better job of it um, due to the way that I, I put in a lot of the complexity into the systems before I put a lot of complexity into the management side. So a lot of people found that their colonists were dying and it wasn't really explained very well why. Right. And, um, one build even had basically effectively constantly doomed colonists um but i didn't mention it to anyone can, can and, they die of vitamin c deficiency uh not yet um, yeah that's that's a famous one that's quite i can but uh, we, yeah that can we, happen to various foodstuffs that you don't realize it Carry on. yeah well we, we do have um so many different ways of dying now that i have uh, yeah. Paul, my yeah. writer writing descriptions of all these different types of death yeah. Um, I think it's scurvy, basically. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, but the thing is, we, we do have sickness, and, and we're going to have malnutrition. Yeah, that's, um, that's where it happens. Yeah. That, yeah, I guess that comes under that. But also we have euthanasia, which will be an interesting one, um, when characters go psychotic. Right. Um, because anything in the game that is a simulated object, you can right-click on and tell them to destroy. Um, but you can also do that on the colonists. Oh, which people go, oh, it's a bug. I've set this colonist for destruction. But it's not a bug. It's actually something that is going to happen. That while the colonists obviously won't act on that, yeah. um, what, they'll, what you'll find is the person who you've done it to becomes steadily more and more demoralized. Yeah. Um, and they'll start sending you emails about it eventually uh, using our procedural email system that I wrote. And then they will... Um, if, if another character becomes fully psychotic, they'll catch up to the character who's sleeping when they're sleeping and uh, put the hand over their mouth and suffocate them and in a really, really dark thing. And there's kind of all this level of um, kind of characters becoming kind of uh, unhinged and things which will add an entire kind of new, quite dark, but also like dark humour level into the game when i'm playing it it reminds me a heck of a lot of the thing yeah the atmosphere is very similar to the thing because that film was in no way funny apart from one scene uh i won't spoil it maybe i can spoil it but it's when the head fell off and then the legs <laughs> came out and it went skittering off and then said oh <laughs> yeah. that's right you gotta be fucking kidding me it's <laughs> What am I supposed to do with that? You know, it was that that. But it, it you you mentioned earlier, it's like nineteen seventies sort of like sci fi thing going yeah. on here. What, what, why did you do that? I mean, is is it because something you and I grew up with, or what? What was what was the reasoning? Yeah, well, um, kind of the thing was a, a big inspiration, um, but also some kind of British seventies sci fi Jerry Anderson kind of productions um, yeah and so, Blake seven and stuff yeah like so, but space 1999 yes um was obviously yes. a big a big deal because it had yes. the had the doomed space colony floating through space and yeah. while a lot of it was a bit 
overly fantastic in uh, kind of concept. Um, a lot of there was a lot of just interpersonal. Um, yes, it like, went to the realms of silliness very quickly. That's yeah. Sure. Then again, it was the moon floating through space. So come on. Yeah. Well, the, the first series was very good sci-fi. The second one, I believe, they um, had like new American investors, and the American investors wanted to turn it into a you know explosions and action and things, and they turned it into some complete rubbish, and then it got cancelled. Right. Um, but the first series, you know, it, yeah, it was had a, a, some really, really excellent characters. There's one where they find Brian Blessed on an ice planet right? and they've become immortal due to the planet and kind of, it's got some really um, deep asking questions um, and then a really horrible ending. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but all, all that. And obviously um, another influence was uh, Douglas Adams, who was, I guess, is he seventies? I guess he's six. He was eighties, yeah, late seventies, early early eighties. Yeah. yeah, and also um, the kind of the seventies sci-fi writers, so Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and uh, Robert Heinlein um, right. did did a lot of really interesting kind of stories around space colonization, and it's sad because. It, a lot of that isn't reflected in in kind of in modern day media. There's no excitement about colonizing alien worlds, and back then we we treated it as something that was inevitable, something that we were going to do, and something that we'd we'd have done by the year 1999, and we'd put all our resources into it, and we'd figure out world peace, and we'd stop faffing around with getting annoyed at Russia. Um, Instead, something very, very different has happened. Yeah, and and so it was that kind of optimism, but also realism. Um, obviously, of the aesthetic is coming from a lot of those films, the visual aesthetic. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the thinking is as well. Um, and of course, I've been influenced by actual real science. The game initially, I was potentially going to set it on Mars, uh-huh. um, but I realised that Mars is, scientifically speaking, a, a dead planet. So there's actually really very little interests that you could have setting up a Mars colony because mm. there's, there's, there wouldn't be much dyna- dynamism. And it's been done before a billion times as well. Yeah. So setting it on a primordial planet, the only time it's ever been done is alien. Zzz. Aliens. Yeah, not alien. Because yeah. they found a primordial planet in alien, but they colonized it in aliens. Um, so there's some correlation there. But that planet was... Well, didn't have any, have any life on it. I was just terraforming it. So, yeah. uh, cool. Okay. I've got one last question for you. And this is one I've asked a couple of times on other shows because this it depends on the game. But I think this specific one, especially Maya, would, would really benefit from some advice. Basically, one, you've only got one. What one piece of advice would you give someone sitting there? You've explained to them how to play the game. you explained to anyone how to play it. That's not what I'm asking. What one playing tip would you give to someone uh, before they sit out and start to, you know, create a successful colony as best they could on the planet Maya? I'd say treat it like real life and don't try to think of it as a game that you're trying to interact with, but as a, a real implementation of how people live. And if you think about it that way, 
a lot of things that people struggle with in the game uh, you don't have problems with. You know, why did my colonist who worked for three days straight keel over and die? Well, maybe it's because you should have built a bed so he could go to sleep. Or why did, you know, why did this happen? And actually, what a lot of people have a, a mindset nowadays because when you, when you play modern games, a lot of things have instant feedback. You click a button and something happens. Yes. And so you know immediately. In real life, things have, you know, short, medium and long-term consequences. Yes. Sometimes they don't have short or medium-term consequences. Sometimes you do something and something will happen days or years later. Yes. So that's kind of one of the mindsets that you need to get into when you're playing the game is not how do I game the system? How do I use game theory to exploit these numbers? Um, and in fact, not to think of it as a series of numbers that are getting broken down, but as actual, a, a real real thing. So if you go, oh, I've got a bunch of humans that I need to keep alive. Well, I need to give them air. I need to give them water. I need to give them food. I need to give them somewhere to rest. I need to keep them busy, but not too busy. I need to keep them sane. Um, and then eventually... Um, that you know, those things become kind of really obvious. And what's interesting is when little uh, kids play the game, which I probably shouldn't let them play because it's probably a bit dark for them. Right. Um, but when they when the little kids played it at rest, they struggled with the interface. But once they had the interface, um, they they could play the games with no problems. And we had a problem because they would play the game for hours on end. Yeah. Um, and we we did have some players who played the game for two hours at rest. Um, and I didn't want to kick them off because it was interesting to see, you know, how how are they still finding entertainment in this early alpha after two right. hours when when yeah. I would have just gone, no, they've built everything. Yeah, fifteen um, minutes, I'm done. Which sadly was what I do. Then again, I had other stuff to see there. You can understand, yeah. but yeah, I don't think you balked at that. Saying yeah, it's fine because you've got appointments and things to see. But it did, I did, it did, it did make leave a mark with me. It really, yeah. really did. And, and it's interesting because usually I see kids on other games and they bounce really quickly. They, they do, they, you know, when I go around rest, I spend 15, 10 minutes on each game. I don't have much time, like no. you said. But they, they technically have as much time or as little time as they want. But usually they have very short attention span and just leave it. Yes. But, but anyway, yeah, these kids would play it and they wouldn't struggle with the concepts of the game. Because instead of thinking of it as a game, yeah. they just saw the people as little people that they're looking after. Whereas yeah. other people went, oh, this is a, a management simulator. I guess I can build stuff. You know, a, and then immediately start min-maxing yeah. and try to see where like the exploits are. Yeah. If, if you try and do that in Maya, it will, it will just completely fall apart. Um, you can't min-max it because nothing, nothing is set Everything is noisy. People make bad decisions. Sometimes they make good decisions. There's not complete pure randomness, but there is chaos. Yeah. Um, so you really have to embrace the chaos <laughs> and just uh, <laughs> because and kind of get on with mess- it. Because life is messy. I mean, yeah. yes, the, 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 the constraints are you're on a scientific base that's being constructed to, on an alien planet. So you've got some support there. Um, so you've got some support and also support back home on earth and stuff like that. So you've got that two way, you've got those, that framework from which to build. Um, so yeah, that's good. Well, thanks very much to Simon for, for telling us all about this, uh, amazing, amazing, uh, game. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I'm sorry. I'm struggling for words to describe how 
um, bonkers. It really yeah, is. It is. Um, yeah, it is crazy, but it's a good crazy. Um, yeah. Could you tell us where you can get the game and, and its future platforms and that sort of thing? Well, you can get it right away on Steam, or you can okay. get it direct from my site, which is uh, myagame.com. Um, it's cheaper on my website if you want the cheapest version. Um, and yeah, it's on Linux, uh, Mac, and Windows PC. Okay. And potentially, it may be coming to a console at some point soon. Um, but consoles don't have alpha games, so probably no, not that soon. No, they don't. Um, so that's that's exciting. Yeah, and it's an Very interesting, good. it's just an amazing state of flux that the platforms are in. I just wanted to make sure that everyone understood how and where they could get their game. And so it works on Linux, yes. Yeah. So um, theory, usually, <laughs> so a friend of mine, he, he built a Steam box as as did I. Uh, it's good fun if you know what to do and you got enough kit around lying around, which I did. And uh, having uh, PC games splattered on your forty-two inch screen or forty-six inch screen is great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's good to know. Well, so. Thank you very much for sharing uh, and uh, chatting about your game. Uh, I would recommend everyone check it out. It's awesome. It's different. It's As you can hear from our chat, it's very unique. And it's something you should really experience before we can really describe it anymore. Otherwise, we're just talking in circles. So, Simon, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!